Rupert and Amanda and Benji and Barney joined us about two years ago. Um, prior to that, they served for many years at um, St. Paul's in Shadwell. And so it's our delight to have you with us um, as part of this church family. Thank you for all that you give. Rupert is an ordained minister in the Church of England. You're also a lawyer. It's very accomplished and experienced. Lots of years of wisdom um, to bring to us today. So we're really delighted to have you with us. Let me just pray for you before you begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for Rupert. Thank you that he is a man of your word. Thank you that your word has changed his life. And thank you for the words that you've given him to say to bring to us today. Lord, I pray that you would anoint him afresh now by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that our hearts will be soft and ready to receive all that you have to say. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Thank you, Anna. Great. Good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, yeah, as Anna said, uh, uh, Amanda and I and our, and our two boys, Benji and Barney, who are now 10 and 8, so they were 8 and 6 when we came over from East London, um, and uh, just before diving into when we're go- where we're going this morning, um, when we came over, we thought we better, we wanted to kind of come here to church, but we thought we better be open in case God is sending us somewhere else, so we, we spent the first September to Christmas going to four different churches and, and, and our boys were really good sports and we're happy to go into children's church at each of those places. Uh, and then at the end we said, well, where would you like to go to church? Uh, and they said, we want to come to St. John's. Uh, and they'd loved coming to children's church and they have loved it ever since. Uh, and just as a complete segue to uh, uh, where we're going to go, um, you know, if our kids are in children's church now, we are really, really blessed uh, and Amanda and I are incredibly grateful to, to Lee and all of the team. Uh, and if you've kind of, you know, been uh, with St. John's since uh, the plant, and you've been here for uh, 10 years or so, then, you know, it might just be that this is just how children's church is. But it's not, you know? So, you know, it's, it's fantastic. We should pray, pray for and celebrate and, uh, and cheer on all, all the people who help with children's church uh, and the team that help guide them because uh, it's, a, it's a massive blessing. Uh, and of course, it's you know so strategic, which is a horrible word to use about you know children and children's church. And all that. But of course, it is. You know, this is the foundations for them. Uh, and leaving you know teenage years, having had a really warm, positive, loving, fun time um, at at church, is is, ma- is you know is amazing. So we're really grateful, and we're and we're you know we're loving being here. So um, yeah, my Benji, who's ten, he prayed for me this morning. He said. He said, Father, uh, even if this is the most boring sermon ever, please, please really make it great. So there you go. That's, that, that, that's, that's where we are. And we're going we're gonna to look at, um, we're carrying on thinking about prayer, and we're going to be in, Gen- in Genesis, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. So grab your phone or grab a Bible, uh, and Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to be uh, looking at uh, just a few words, verses 4 and 5, um, particularly. Um, and, and, and as we get there, um, I don't know, there's two types of people in the world. Um, they're the sort of person that goes to Pizza Express or goes to a birthday party and there's candles uh, and you kind of can't resist sort of getting the wax and pouring it out and sort of putting your finger in the wax. And there's the other type of people, just that would never occur to you to do that. Um, so that's all right if it wouldn't occur to you. But... Um, I love doing that. And you put your finger in. And then, of course, when, when, the, when the wax hardens and you take your finger out, then your fingerprint 
is in the wax. And, and I was thinking, uh, as we were thinking about prayer this morning, that, that at the very least, even, even if we're really stuck with prayer, and it's just like, it's just either hard or dreary, or, or life is just overwhelmed, and, and it's too hard, and God seems so far away, uh, at the very least, almost with no words, we can, we can just say, just, just God, please put your thumbprint in, in my heart again today. Uh, please just soften the wax a little bit so that your fingerprint, your thumbprint is on me. And, and when we pray, even stumbling with, with, with very little time and very few words, even that is in fact you know, opening us up to, to God's thumbprint on our heart. Uh, and this prayer that we're going to look at uh, is uh, incredibly short, um, and, but amazingly powerful. So have a look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, and verses 4 and 5. Uh, and we're going to just look at it together. And Moses says to the people of Israel, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, this prayer has been prayed every day, twice a day, uh, by faithful Jewish people for over 3,000 years. This is the, the bedrock prayer, the cornerstone prayer uh, of Jewish life. And in fact, it's not just a Jewish prayer. Uh, in Matthew 22, somebody asked Jesus, uh, which is the first and greatest commandment? And he says, this prayer. And it's called the Shema. And the word Shema literally means hear. And so Jewish people refer to this prayer as the Shema. And when Jesus was asked what the greatest command, he said, it's the Shema, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Uh, and, and then he says, and all your mind. And what we're looking at where Moses speaks, he says all your strength. And that's something that you can Google and unpack over lunch uh, because we probably won't get there today. But uh, it's this cornerstone bedrock prayer of Jewish life. Uh, I, I time myself. It's 13 seconds. You know, if prayer is hard, now I know that sometimes you can't get into a sort of space of prayer in 13 seconds, but actually just 13 seconds at the start of the day, 30 seconds, uh, and you don't know what to say. Well, maybe this is a great place to start or, or end the day when prayer seems hard. Um, and, and Jewish people, when they pray it, then traditionally this prayer is prayed by covering your eyes with your right hand. So you cover your right eyes uh, and you recite, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, and I was wondering what that meant, and I, I came across a story about a rabbi called Rabbi Sitna, and his daughter, his baby daughter, uh, was terribly ill and was rushed into hospital uh, uh, with heart failure. And she was in the operating theatre, and he sort of he was with her at this point and in the operating theatre, and of course surrounded by you know a tiny baby, surrounded by you know large uh, men and women in green, you know the, the surgeons and the nurses. Uh, and, and she was looking for her daddy and, and, and terrified of what was going on. Um, and then the nurses usher him out because he can't be in there. Um, and he's outside and he's in tears and he's, and he's praying. And he doesn't know what to pray. And he, he prays, covers his eyes and prays the Shema. But he's, he's mainly, he says, he's mainly wishing, wishing that he could be in there. But he knows he can't be in there. So he's wishing that she would know that he's longing to be in there. He hasn't left her. 
and that he is only just outside. He's out of sight, but he's only just around the corner. And he, and he was longing for her to know that daddy was there. And he said, the reason we, we cover our eyes is sometimes it does seem like God is just not here. He is far away. We're, we're in darkness. We're overcome. But he is there. And the, the covering of the eyes reminds us that he is, he is just around the corner. Uh, he can hear us and he is with us and longs, us, longs for us to know that he is with us. So Moses uh, uh, calls the people uh, to listen, to hear, O Israel, that the Lord is one. And the, the context for this, uh, the whole book of Deuteronomy is, is, is Moses' is, is locker room speech. He's the coach uh, and he's before the big match, which is leaving the wilderness and crossing the Jordan into the promised land. So the people of Israel have had 40 years in the wilderness and they're now coming to the end of that journey, the end of the exile, and they're going into Canaan, into Israel, into the promised land. And he is worried that, in fact, what's going to happen when they get into the promised land is that they're going to forget God because they've been in a place of travail, of toughness, of difficulty, where they've had to depend on God to bring them manna and quail, to lead them by fire and by cloud. To, 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 to deal with, with drought and be desperate for water, to deal with, with, with snakes, to deal with, with, with God's judgment against their unfaithfulness. And then he says, you're coming to a place where there are cities that you didn't build and there are vineyards and orchards that you didn't plant. And hero Israel, don't get comfortable. Don't, when you get given this ready, I mean, it's like, you know, it's a DIY ready-made land. As, as you know, Donald Trump said, it's, or Boris Johnson said, it's oven-baked Brexit. Well, here's an oven-baked country for you. Um, don't get comfortable and forget God. And so he says, hear, Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Well, Shema, it doesn't just mean hear. It means listen. It means pay attention. It means have a stance that is active uh, and, and, and ready. There's nothing worse than, than talking with someone, and you know they can hear you, but they're not listening to you. Uh, and there's nothing that makes you feel sort of less. You know, you're at a party and someone's uh, listening to your funny anecdote, uh, but they're not really listening. They're waiting to come up with a funnier anecdote to trump yours. Well, if I'm honest, I'm probably that person more. You know, you want to be popular, and someone's telling you something that's really, really funny, and you think, oh yeah, that reminds me of something a little bit funnier. Let me just wait until I get a an avenue in the conversation to drop mine in. And, you know, you're not really paying attention to people. Or there's someone at work that is just difficult to work with and you're just trying to build relationship. And you know that they've already blocked you off and, you know, you're trying to get them to hear you. Uh, they can hear the sounds, but they're, but they're not listening. I've been doing a little bit of work recently with a, a fascinating company. That is, it's a technology company that deals uh, uh, with mental health with adolescents in schools. Uh, and it measures what, what they call biases, biases that might lead to unhealthy patterns uh, that might lead to, to the difficulties with mental and emotional health. Uh, and a bias, an example of a bias could be um, that I bias towards trusting myself too much and I don't really listen to the input and advice of others. Or, and that can be good sometimes, sometimes you need to be the person who knows I've got to cut the red wire and not the blue and I can't listen to anyone else. But there are other times where I need to trust others and listen to them. Uh, and, we need, and we need to get our biasing right. 
Well, however we understand the biasing of our emotional life and our, and our, and our mental well-being, uh, Moses is saying, bias ourselves to God. Bias our ears and our attention to him. And the particular thing he says to bias towards is the Lord is one. It's a kind of slightly funny phrase, isn't it? And it, and, and it leaves you a little bit like, well, it sounds a bit sort of theological, but you know, is there much sort of you know, meat on the bone here? And I think if, it, if one starts thinking about the Trinity, God is three but one, uh, or monotheism, all the tribes around Israel uh, had many little local gods, but Israel had a, you know, the one true God, maybe that's in there. But, but maybe really what it's about is that, is that God made something out of nothing. He made our lives and our world from nothing. And we are only sustained day by day by him. We were not just created with the clock wound up and now it continues. We are, we are sustained. Uh, and uh, the Bible says in him we live and move and have our being. That is how Paul described how God keeps us moving every moment with every breath when he was preaching in Athens. He is the one. There is no other. There is no life outside of him. We have no independence from him. We cannot even breathe without him giving us breath. And so he says, remember, as you go into this land of flowing with milk and honey, it all comes from him. There is nothing without him. Here, Shema, Israel. Shema, St. John's. It all comes from him. Now, we're going to look at three words from this little prayer where he, where he says, love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. That's the next thing that he says. Because the Hebrew words that then get translated by the NIV or whichever translation you've got, the Hebrew words are kind of much more organic and sort of earthy and juicy and fresh. And they're slightly sort of processed in the English. And maybe a few of the vitamins have, 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 have been taken out. Uh, so, the, so Moses says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, the Hebrew word for heart is lev, your lev. Now, where the Hebrew lev and our kind of London 20th century lev, 21st century lev are the same, is the lev is the place, the heart is the place of our emotion. So when you emoji somebody a heart, you're emojiing them an emotion. You're saying, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings towards you. Uh, and they may be just somebody that you don't, think about much but it's a quick emoji or you might send them a valentine card and you really hope that there's a reciprocal warm fuzzy affectionate feelings um so that the hebrew heart and and the, the you know the modern western heart at that point they're the same but the hebrew has no word for brain all of your thinking is done in your lev all of your planning all of your choices all of your thoughtfulness all of your wisdom so Proverbs chapter 2, the writer of Proverbs says, Wisdom can enter your heart and save you from the ways of, the wicked, of wicked men and adulterous women. And Proverbs 4, he says, Guard your heart. It is the wellspring of your whole life. So in Hebrew, the heart was the place where you, where you pondered, where you dreamed, where you planned, where your ambitions rise up, where your wisdom is, as well as where your feelings are. I happened the other day to catch uh, my uh, our eight-year-old watching SpongeBob SquarePants. If you've never seen SpongeBob SquarePants, you mustn't because it's truly awful. And I don't, I 
we would never let our children watch it, honestly. But there, anyway, there he was. And SpongeBob is a sponge. And it's very kind of overly contemporary and slightly sickening. And, and, and SpongeBob has a friend who, if you're an adult looking at what's going on, you can tell this friend is going to be making a, a very, very inappropriate relationship decision um, with another undersea creature. And, and, but, and SpongeBob says, the heart wants what the heart wants. As if it's okay because that, you know, that's how the octopus feels. So if the octopus feels like that, whatever he feels like, he can do. And that really actually is the kind of universal principle of our modern life, isn't it? If you feel like it, then it's okay. Not only is it okay, it's actually gospel truth. If you feel like it, you must do it. And, and, and nobody can tell you you mustn't because you feel like it. I mean, what more do you need? And Moses' understanding of the heart is that it is, yeah, it's what you feel, but it's also balanced by what you think. And what you understand. And that wisdom and thoughtfulness should, of course, be impacted by God's word. Which is why Deuteronomy isn't just 13 seconds worth. But actually, you've got about 32 chapters where Moses un is unpacking what it will be like for them to live well in Israel and not forget God. And so sometimes we should do what our heart feels. And sometimes our ambition comes from a good feeling. But sometimes we should do the opposite of what our heart feels. It's like, no, I'm feeling like this, and it's a terrible idea. And that, you know, that is the growing uh, heart of faithfulness that loves God. So Moses says, love God with all of your lev. And then he says, secondly, he says, love God with all of your soul. All of your soul. Now, this, this, this word is what we think of when we, when we hear the word soul, is there is this sort of mist or non-material spirits within us that uh, when the container of our being is opened when we die, then that will go somewhere, uh, and that is our soul. And somehow we have a body, and in the body is the soul. Well, the word for, the word for soul in, in Hebrew is never, ever used like that. Moses doesn't think of it like that, uh, and the Bible never uses it like that. It's the word nefesh. It's a great word, nefesh. We're learning three, four Hebrew words this morning. Uh, and nefesh, and look, nefesh literally means your throat. And it's used again and again in the Bible for your throat. Uh, and your throat is the place uh, through which life comes in. It's the gateway to life. Oxygen comes in, your food comes in, your water comes in. So when David uh, was, uh, was articulating in possibly one of the most poetic ways what it means to build a relationship with God in Psalm 42. He says, as the deer pants for water, so my nefesh thirsts for God. So my soul thirsts for God is how we translate it. But it was my, my being that if the throat is the entrance to your whole body, to your core, then it's, a very, it's the essence of your physical life. Uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, later on, one of the laws and rules of, of moving into the promised land um, is you shouldn't kidnap people. Well, that's good. Um, but the word for kidnapping, if you're a kidnapper, you are a nefesh thief. You've stolen not just somebody's spirit. You've stolen their whole being, their physicality. They are now, they are now constrained, and you're prisoner, and they're not able to live in freedom. So your nefesh is your physical freedom, your, the, the totality of everything that you can do and be. Now, 
It's also the totality of all the things that you can't do and can't be because you are you and you are not me. There are some things that you're brilliant at and I'm rubbish at. And there are some failures that I have had that you haven't had. You've got different limitations, different failures. People say often about Twitter, the reason it became successful was because you had to communicate in whatever it is, 168 characters or whatever it is. Um, The limitation made it powerful. Our limitations are actually part of what God can do with us because there's things we can do that other people can't do. So whatever it means to be you in all of your fullness, all of your nefesh is unique to you. And we are to love God with our nefesh. Well, so what's left? If I'm loving God with all of my heart, which is both my emotion and affection and passion, but also my thoughtfulness and intelligence and wisdom, and all of my body, my, all of my physical being and my capabilities and talents and resources, what's left? Well, Moses says, love the Lord your God with all of your strength. But he doesn't. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your ma'od, your ma'od. Uh, and the word ma'od doesn't mean strength. This is a really weird one. The word ma'od is an adverb. It means rarely or very. Love the Lord your God with all of your very. All of your muchness. So in, in Genesis you read about how God made uh, the heavens and the earth. And for the first five days he reflects, it's good. The birds, they're good. The sea, it's good. And then on the sixth day he makes the man and the woman. And he says, it is Mayod good. This is very good. A, a couple of chapters later on, Cain and Abel fall out. And Cain isn't just angry with Abel, he's Mayod angry. A, a little later on, Noah finds himself in a deluge. And it's not just a deluge, it's a Mayod flood. So it's, you know, these things, is, it's a bit like when you take your, take your bolognese and you put Tabasco on it. And you're really sort of bringing it to life. It's, this is Mayod Bolognese, and if you want to really go for it, you go from the green Tabasco, Mayod, to the red Tabasco, Mayod, Mayod. And there are places in the Bible where the writer says, Mayod, Mayod, to really emphasize uh, what is going on. And I think, you know, when you, when you make a cake and you make the mixture, and children are around, and you've put the mixture in the thing, to, the pan to bake it, but you've got the bowl with the sort of, the, lo- the really nice you know, and the children, you know, not just the children, I want to, you know, I want to get one of those little plastic spatulas and scrape out everything. So you've got, you know, nothing's left in the bowl and nothing's been wasted and you get to eat the sort of juicy cake mixture. And and it's kind of like that. There's not, once you've done your heart and your soul and your mayod, that's the totality. That's the totality uh, of who you are uh, and who you love God with. So we love God with our heart and our soul, uh, and even our mayod, are much, much totally. And the thing is, it's pretty hard to actually do that. And uh, Moses, in fact, he starts Deuteronomy by telling, by calling out to, to Israel, Shema, Shema Israel. But then as Deuteronomy unfolds, this is, this is where if, if he's a coach, this is does not look like it's a good playbook for coaching. Because, if, you know, we just had a rugby match against Wales yesterday. I don't know what Eddie Jones said at half-time. I and mean, we just won. I'm not, you know, you might not be into rugby. But he probably didn't say, guys, you're probably going to lose. In fact, you're going to lose. But anyway, have a great game. You know, and 
in fact, they didn't, they didn't lose. But, but Moses says, but you're going to lose. You, you are going to forget God. You are going to get comfortable. And you're not going to love him with all of your heart and your soul and your mind. And in fact, you will go into exile again. And then when you're in exile, back in the wilderness and back in hardship and back in difficulty, then you will call out to God. And you will, you will, with your sort of covered eyes, knowing somewhere he's there, though you can't find him or sense him or see him in, in your slavery and your exile, you'll call out to him. And he will hear your prayer and he will restore you. And he will restore you to the promised land. And, and then in chapter... 30, Moses says this. He says in chapter 30, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. That's a pretty vivid metaphor. Um, but, but Moses knows that our hearts are hard. Jeremiah described the human heart uh, as uh, despicable and, and uh, diseased. There is, there is nothing about our hearts that has full integrity at, at any time. Not that it is only corrupted, but that it is corrupted. And yet Moses looked forward to a time when in fact our hearts would have something removed from them. That, that, you know, it's a vivid metaphor of circumcision, but we get what he's, I mean, you can't not get what he's saying. It's powerful. And our hearts will be soft again to God. Uh, the heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh. And the root to that, of course, is through the one man who was able to shemar fully. And he did love the Lord his God with all his heart and all his soul and all his strength. And through him, then we are able to come back to Canaan, despite our failures and our brokenness, uh, and we are able to have our hearts renewed, circumcised, uh, that we might live. Uh, and we're on that journey where we are both now and not yet. We are living, and yet we will truly live. And there will be that true Canaan. So, bringing things back to, to the candle wax, uh, it may be that where we're at at the moment, you know, there are challenges. Maybe it's just simply the challenge of small children and time. When do I pray? I have no, by the time I've done everything I need to do, I'm absolutely exhausted. I want to pray, but it's just, you know, it's just gone out the window. Or, or maybe life has just overwhelmed us in some way. And everything's gone cold and everything's gone dark. Well, maybe this, this small call of Moses, Shema, Shema. Hear that God is one and love him with your heart and your soul and your strength. Maybe just we can just find a small pocket of prayer where what we're actually doing is saying, God, please put your thumbprint on my heart afresh. And that image of Moses, the, the, the circumcised heart, the heart that can be soft that actually you'd soften my heart, maybe just a little bit. And maybe we won't notice it, because I think that's the way prayer works, really, unless you're kind of a superhero, which is over time, we kind of soften our heart and soften our heart, little bits of softening here and there. And we keep moving. You know, it's unlikely to be radical heart surgery in one go, but it may. 
that's where I think we bring ourselves as we hear what Moses says. Let's just try and be, have hearts like wax that God can put his thumbprint on. Amen.